The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, welcome to the show and happy Monday. Hope you're having a great day. First Monday of December. Uh, lots to come on the show today. We have some prizing. We have the word of the day at 420. We're going to tackle a couple of topics. Have some fun as well. As well, we'll hear from some of the premiers as they've just wrapped up speaking to the media following that uh, session that they held uh, earlier today. Uh, Eileen was just talking about it. We'll hear from them. We'll hear from Premier Kenny uh, on what was decided upon and uh, you know what it is moving forward that they're going to take to the prime minister. Um, now, I wanted to get to this one first. Over the weekend, a bill came into effect that the Canadian government says will end solitary confinement in federal prisons. But prisoners' rights advocates say segregation is just being rebranded. Bill C-83 outlaws both administrative and disciplinary segregation. Now prisoners are going to be put in what's called structural intervention units, SIUs, to address their risks. Independent Ontario Senator Kim Pate is a longtime advocate for prisoners' rights and she joins us this afternoon. Senator, welcome to the show. Thank you. As mentioned in my introduction, this bill is supposed to outlaw both both um, administrative and disciplinary segregation. Prisoners' rights advocates say otherwise, that it's just being rebranded. Is it a cosmetic rebranding? What's happening? Well, it certainly is a, a rebranding of segregation. It's not eliminating uh, the practice at all. And in fact, it's taking away by eliminating disciplinary segregation on its surface. That sounds like a great thing, right? Getting rid of punitive segregation. However, because it was considered a penalty, it was one of the only areas where people had a right to counsel, where they had a right to be heard, where there was man you know there were greater uh, procedural safeguards. Now those have all been removed. In addition, although structured intervention units have been set up, and the argument is that it, they will people will have up to four hours a day out mm -hmm. of cells and more meaningful human contact, that's not clearly defined. And in fact, the regulations and policies that have already been put out by show that they've already watered down the intent of the bill. In addition, visits to prisons are showing that the places that are now labeled segregation are being renamed as structured intervention units, mm -hmm. and additional units are being developed that have no procedural guidelines at all, that people can be held in, in uh, separate from the general population, in isolation. Uh, sometimes it's characterized as voluntary, sometimes it's characterized as mental health observation, sometimes it's characterized as actually on the way to the structured intervention units. And so it calls into doubt um, really what the stated intent of the government was, because we're likely to see more segregation units, more segregated units, and so both the status of being isolated and the places that isolate people are likely to proliferate. Uh, so much there, uh, Senator, uh, what you just outlined. Um, so I would like to take some of it piece by piece. want to go back to this one just uh, for a moment. You originally called for the bill to be scrapped entirely. Why? Well, because it was fairly clear to most of us that it was a response to litigation that was being brought by prisoners across the country, and in particular, two cases that are going to the Supreme Court of Canada, where, in fact, um, 
the courts had found that anything more than 15 days, they agreed with the UN uh, guideline that that uh, basically anything more than 15 days is seen can be seen as torture, uh, according to the United Nations uh, Mandela rules, which are the minimum standard rules for the treatment of prisoners. Um, as well, it was recognized that within a few hours and certainly a few days, you can see irrepar irreparable permanent uh, harm both neurological harm, physical harm, of course, psychological harm, and that the impact of that is something that should be being overseen. And so, you know, as far back as when Louise Arbour did a review of, of the use of segregation for extended periods with women at the Prison for Women in Kingston, she recommended that corrections be the last branch of the uh, justice system to be brought under the administration of the courts. And that was part of the reason. And in fact, the the Senate made that amendment mm. to the legislation. Unfortunately, the government rejected it. And mm. so what what we were arguing was that, in fact, if if you really want to eliminate segregation, the best way and the most efficient way to do that is to require corrections to have to establish before a court each and every time they want to keep someone in for an extended period of time why it's, why it's actually necessary and to ensure that people's charter and human rights are not being violated. How is segregation being used in our prison system right now? Is it being used as punishment or as discipline? Um, well, Discipline basically has equated to being punitive segregation, mm. so they were one and the same. Administrative segregation um, was historically for purposes of you know any other issue within the institution, while an investigation might be happening for someone's own protection, all of those areas. In fact, administrative segregation was what was usually used even when it was predominantly a punitive or a disciplinary response to something. And so many of us would like to see clearly articulated that when in fact corrections is implementing a new disciplinary policy because people are people are sent to prison as punishment not for more punishment and if more punishment is is going to be exacted then really according to our charter uh, people should have a right to be heard. They should have a right for that to be tested, and, and that wasn't happening, and this will just persist under this new system. Now, before becoming a senator, you were the executive director of the Canadian Association of Elizabeth Fry Societies, working closely with, with women in the justice system. Tell us what you know uh, firsthand of, of solitary in uh, Canada's prison system. Well, over the years, prisons like the uh, prison, uh, like all of the regional prisons, all of the prisons for women were supposed to start as low security prisons, recognizing that the majority of women in them did not pose an ongoing risk to public safety, but because they needed, they were being held accountable by a prison sentence, they were, should be in prison. Uh, fairly quickly, those prisons started to be made even more and more secure, use more of the uh, measures that traditionally we think of for the, the um, usual prisons. And one of the things we've seen over that period of time is, in particular, the maximum security units have all become segregated from the general population because of the numbers of women in them. As well, um, segregation has has been very much utilized, and in particular, Indigenous women have tended to be classified mm -hmm. as higher and spend more time in segregation. And what we see with that is the impact of everything from people hallucinating, developing anxiety, paranoia, psychosis, uh, to self-injurious behavior, and sometimes 
suicide or accidental death if they're even if they're not attempting to uh, to hurt uh, kill themselves the manner in which they're hurting themselves causes their death we also have women who have been diagnosed after being released from prison and it, once they get into mental health settings where they actually uh, end up going in large part because of the impact of isolation, they end up being diagnosed with everything from post-traumatic stress because of the mm-hmm. isolation to anxiety disorders to even isolation-induced schizophrenia. Uh, so the, those long-standing and permanent you know, damage to brain, to physical health. Many women develop, uh, lose muscle mass while they're in in, the, in uh, segregation just because of the lack of ability to move around. Uh, the same is true for men, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, you asked specifically about some of the women yeah. and certainly um, the, the accumulation of prison sentences, which is something a lot of people don't realize happens in prison, has also been part of that. It's much harder for individuals to work their way out of uh, prison, much more difficult to get access to the programs and services that they need in order to address the issues that brought them there in the first place, and therefore much harder to eventually go back to their communities, link up with their children, link up with their families, uh, communities of support, get get edu- you know mm-hmm. get uh, further at their education get jobs all of those sorts of things Senator Kim Pate joining me this afternoon do you do you believe that solitary should be scrapped entirely I do I think it's just a matter of time when solitary was introduced it was seen as more progressive than maiming and killing and starving people. Um, you know, it's long since been found in many jurisdictions to be so damaging and so inhumane that it needs to be at the very least limited. And I think it's just a matter of years before, you know, maybe shorter, but certainly years before we realize that this whole practice needs to be scrapped. So, so, so what needs to be put in place then to help um, those who are running the system deal with the folks who might uh, in past or you know even right now be be put into solitary be be put into administrative segregation that's a very good question and I think one of the realities is that we know the efforts that need to be taken everybody who has done uh, work in this area who people have been in prison will talk about the need to do things right from the beginning when someone comes into a prison sentence uh, into a prison serving a sentence and you know, all kinds of inquests, inquiries, uh, investigations have shown that usually by the time someone was put in isolation, every other component of the system has either not been tried or has failed because they have not been implemented in a robust way. And actually Bill C-83 makes that part even worse because there are provisions that existed in the corrections legislation that provided ways to get people with mental health uh, mental health issues out of the prison system into mental health facilities that have been limited now with Bill C-83. In addition, there were provisions that allowed for people to serve their prison sentence and to be uh, released into their communities into isolated, remote, or and or indigenous communities that have been severely limited and instead more institutional responses have been put in place all of those could be reinvigorated in a way that would actually prevent us from ending up in a situation where people are being needed to be kept from each other isolated from uh, the general population any of those sorts of areas and unfortunately we haven't uh, we haven't invested in those kinds of uh, approaches and investing more in 
more segregation units is likely to pull even more mm -hmm. resources in that direction instead of putting them into the community where they would benefit not just the individuals who are in prison who have mental health issues, but people in the community and prevent people from being further marginalized, victimized, or criminalized. Uh, Senator Pate, I'm glad you brought up um, those with uh, with mental health issues because that adds uh, that's another layer uh, in this whole thing when you're when you're treating when you're working with um, prisoners who are dealing with mental health issues and and how to properly handle them in 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 uh, different circumstances and I think that is that's a whole other ball of wax that needs a whole lot of attention probably a whole lot of money and a whole lot of overhaul. Well, it it does, and part of it, though, is, you know, one of the uh, really um, frustrating and devastating parts of the government rejecting the Senate amendments is one of the amendments uh, was made was that within 24 hours of entering into a segregation unit, there needed to be a full mental health assessment. Wow. And if it was determined that the person was, was there predominant because of mental health issues, or they were exhibiting behaviors that showed they were developing mental health uh, conditions that needed to be uh, treated, they, they could have been, they could be, and in, I would argue they still should be, being transferred out of prisons into appropriate mental health facilities, even if they're locked forensic units, but places where people are first and foremost treated as having mental health issues, not where their criminality always trumps therapeutic concerns. And those resources being placed in the community would, as I mentioned, benefit the entire community rather than just those in prison as well. Um, you, uh, along with some some other senators had been visiting some federal prisons as part of a, a bigger study by the Senate Human Rights uh, Committee. Um, during your travels, what were you seeing uh, when you went inside? Well, we were seeing um, a very much a trend towards more and more use of security and more and uh, fewer and fewer uh, opportunities for people to actually engage in rehabilitative practices. And we were hearing that from prisoners as well as staff, that there were many staff who were uh, concerned about the direction in which corrections has gone over the past 10 to 20 years. And there was a real concern that that's not in the public interest and that we need to actually revisit those approaches and that when we know that the majority of people going to prison will someday come back out into the community, we should be doing everything we can to not only hold them accountable for the behavior that got them there in the first place, if possible, provide opportunities for them to um, recompense or, or uh, compensate for that, but also to ensure that when they come back out, they're not in a worse position than when they went into prison, because that's in no one's interest, not theirs, and not the, certainly not the community's. And when we know that the majority of people going to prison um, also are not likely to ever commit another uh, offense. We should also be looking at what that does in terms of our communities when we spend sometimes upwards of 100000 mm -hmm. and in, you know, for women who are in the most secure settings, any the parliamentary budget officers has costed at over $600,000 per year. Wow. That kind of money invested in the community for people who don't pose a risk to public safety be, would be a far better investment for all of us, not, not the least of which those individuals involved and, and any uh, people who are victims and so we really, uh, what we saw across the country was we were given a representation often by the managers, by uh, the leadership in headquarters, 
and then we just would walk into the prison and fairly quickly get a very different yeah. view from prisoners and from staff on the front lines. And so there's a, a significant disconnect between what corrections says it's doing and what we actually see happening in the prisons. And there are many, many people concerned with that within the, the service itself and within the Correctional Service of Canada, but who feel rather impotent to do anything. And so I think uh, that was part of what we saw. In addition, senators who were concerned with the situation with Bill C-83 have also continued to visit the prisons. And so uh, in addition to to wrapping up our human rights study, a number of us are planning to continue to go into the prisons and uh, meet with staff and with prisoners and to monitor the conditions of confinement. Just before I let you go, um, I have to ask you this. Um, you have, as I mentioned, you've spent years advocating for those in uh, the criminal justice system. There are plenty out there who just will not care about this interview, about this story. They say, do the crime, do the time. You know, on, on the text line, my first text says, uh, who cares? Um, I have a great solution for all these um, problems for people in prison. Don't break the law. What do you say to those people? Well, I, st I was a working class kid. I had those attitudes when I started doing this work, when I went off to law school. Uh, the reality is when you go in and see who's actually in prison, you realize a few things. One, it's not who causes the greatest harm in our society who tends to be jailed. Now, that doesn't mean that not everybody who's in there deserves to, to be held accountable, but we know that most every person by the time they reach the age of majority has done something for which they could have been criminalized and in, even into adulthood, but depending on who they did it to, um, who knew about it, whether they were caught, whether or not they were criminalized. And we also know that the, the majority of people in prison are those who are most marginalized. It's, the jails are not full of wealthy people, even though that we know uh, people who have means and privilege and opportunity can do very harmful things. And so I, I think we should all be thinking about who benefits from this approach. And I think we benefit from a pr an approach that looks at preventing people from being marginalized and victimized in the first place and looking at how we hold people accountable in a way that actually changes behavior and doesn't just allow those who have the most to get away with things. And so I think there's a lot of work we need to do and I think people should care about what's happening. And it's not everybody who breaks the law who ends up in prison and not everybody who ends up in prison has been given a fair shake. And so that doesn't mean we, um, we shouldn't hold people accountable quite the opposite. We should hold people equally accountable and we actually do not. Senator Kim Pate joining me this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate the conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it as well. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.